very glad to have Jason Keys here sharing the Lord's Word with you. Isn't he just a wonderful man? I love Jason, and it's been great to see the Lord raise him up and set him into ministry. Look forward to what God has in store for Jason. And it was a privilege to preach at the church where he's pastoring now. And I'll tell you how far out in the country that church is. This is the truth. It is so far out in the country that if you're at that church and you want to go hunting, you have to go back toward town. Okay. I mean, it's out there. And absolutely beautiful rolling hills and a gorgeous and sweet fellowship with the folks at their church. It was quite a privilege to be able to go. And I thank God for your love for Jason and receiving him and their love for me and receiving me. Uh, What is the best thing we can do to celebrate Memorial Day? And that is to do the things that those men and women gave their lives for, which was the freedom to passionately worship God, to genuinely pray to Him openly, and to with joy proclaim the gospel in freedom. That's the best way to celebrate Memorial Day. And that is to do the things that those lives were poured out to grant us. And so today we joyfully preach the gospel and passionately worship our God and openly pray to Him in a land where this is a privilege we all share and we give thanks to God for the men and women that went before us granting us through the giving of even their own lives This privilege. And so we do so with great appreciation today. I want to call your attention with me to John 21. I want to kind of set it up with a few things. Uh, Next month will be 25 years in ministry for me personally as a pastor. Not here, but in all of the years, 1991. God gave me the privilege of beginning pastoring and that causes you to kind of step back and reflect a little bit, to think about where you've been, where you're going, what God is doing and kind of to look back across the years. And so I was doing that over the last few weeks and reviewing some things that had happened in my life along the way. One of the things that came to my mind was a very important question. And and it came to my mind because as I reflected, I saw in the life that I've lived, uh, I was literally in church from uh, shortly after conception through birth and all through my life, a very short period of time that I spent out of church in college. So I've pretty much been in church my whole life, and I've watched the what I call the ebb and flow of church life, the coming and the going. And I've noticed over those years um, that there are a lot of people that get in that get out. And that's hard. Whether it was during my childhood years watching it, in adults that were in our church, or in my teen years seeing it occur, or as a young adult beginning to see ministry in church, 
or as an associate pastor or as a pastor, I've watched. There's a lot of coming and going in church. I'm not talking about membership shift, like moving your letter. That's really not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is, folks, they come in and it really looks like, and they get it. It really looks like they're in, and sometimes they appear to be in for a long time. But then something, something happens, and they're gone. Sometimes they're just gone from church. Sometimes they're gone from family. Sometimes they're gone from marriage. Sometimes they're just gone. And you step back and you say, what is it that makes that happen? What is the thing under that that we ought to be addressing and concerned about? What is it that will make a difference in one of us being here to the end? Enduring the whole life, faithful to Christ, faithful to the church, faithful to the family. What is it? What will sustain us? And so I started thinking about that and really pondering it. And I noticed in a lot of departures from church, that there seem to be events surrounding the departure that seemed to test where a person really was. Sometimes it was a threatening thing like health. Sometimes it was a jarring thing like death. Sometimes it was a tempting thing. But it seemed to me that in those departures that I had seen, whether in my own personal friend circle or in my ministry circle or just in the life that I had had enjoyed being in church pretty much my whole life, there seemed to be this place where a person came up to a thing, an event, a temptation, a tragedy, something, and they, they get to that place and it's like a point of departure. It's like after that thing or in that thing or with that thing, they're done. And they leave. And they don't often return. So I was thinking about that. And I was reading, and so I came upon this particular passage in John. And God began to work some things in my heart to kind of awaken me and make me think it through. And so my goal is to answer the question, uh, let me have that first slide, Lynn. Uh, What can motivate us to endure in obedience? What is it that could take us through to the end so that at the waning hours of our life, we could be like Paul in 2 Timothy where he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And now there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. What would take us to that place to where we're not the ones that check out? Because a lot of folks that I thought would never check out, checked out. Which makes me think that I'm not beyond checking out. And neither are you. It could be any one of us. 
And so what will make the difference? I believe that that is what Jesus is addressing in this text. And so that's what I want to bring you to today. So let me set it up, the very first part. There was a context for understanding Peter's motivation that was going to carry him through to enduring obedience. There was a context. That context really is established in the whole book of John. When Jesus sits down with Peter at the campfire and sort of asks this probing question, there's a context for that. First, the context is, who is speaking? Well, John tells us in the beginning of John, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And so here is God in flesh having a conversation with a human being that he loves and he's asking him this question. So there's a context for the question. The who that's asking is God, the one to whom we all answer and the one who knows. There was also a context of all of Jesus' life and what happened in his life from his miraculous birth and the prophecies that preceded that and all of the things that occur with the signs and the ministry and all of that. There were the teaching. There was the context of everything that Jesus had said. He had made himself very clear. He had spoken truth. He had told men and women things like, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him first deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. No one who can can be my disciple who cannot give up all his possessions. He, He had all of these statements that form a context for Peter to understand these questions. So, here's Jesus by campfire, God in the flesh, miracles, ministry teaching. There's the resurrection. There's the context of having been crucified and raised from the dead and Peter now having seen him for the third time physically, visibly risen from the dead, factually, touchable, knowable, all of these things. There's also the context of Peter's failure. If you go back to Luke 22, you've got that interchange where Jesus says to Peter, Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. And then he says, but when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter, in the midst of that set up, boasts, Oh, Lord, wait a minute. (laughs) I would never, never turn away from you. In fact, I'm ready to die for you. So you've got all this boasting that Peter did just before his failure, just before his denial. You've got the denial itself three times where not only does Peter say, I don't know him, I don't know him. He calls down a curse from heaven saying, I do not know him. And so there's this context There's the context of the original call where Jesus goes to them and Peter and John and they're all out there fishing and he calls them. He says, follow me. And it says, and they they left their nets. Peter later says, we left everything to follow you. And it says, and they followed him. And he said, come with me, I'll make you fishers of men. And so they've left their nets and their fishing and their families. They'd left all that and they'd followed. And now there's the context that they've returned to that. 
Peter and the guys are now back in what I would call the comfort zone. The very things that they said that they had left, they're now returned to. They're back in their safe environment. The things that are familiar, the things that are easy, the things that are normal, the things that are natural to them, they're back doing that. So there's this context that Jesus is going to have a discussion with Peter in the midst of who he is and what has happened and the resurrection, in the midst of their failure, in the midst of the boasting, in the midst of them returning to the very thing that they left. All this is going on. And Jesus meets him on the beach. He cooks him some breakfast. There's one more piece of context that I want you to take in that's important as this text develops. Peter actually says this thing three times when we were preaching through the book of the Revelation on Wednesday nights. One of the things that I emphasized every time we got together almost every week, I said, you know, the scariest thing in the book of the Revelation isn't all these beasts and all these prophecies. The scariest thing in the book of the Revelation are the simple words of Jesus where he looks out and he says, I know. He knows. The context of this conversation that Peter's going to repeat three times is this. Before Jesus ever asks you a single thing, he already knows. He knows what you're thinking about right now and last night and Friday and Monday. He knows what you're going to be thinking about He knows what you're pondering now. Jesus knows. And so one of the contexts of this interchange is to understand that in this interchange, Peter is not going to tell Jesus something that Jesus doesn't already know. So wherever you are right now, and whatever you're going to get from this, I want to make this clear. Jesus knows. Whatever you're presenting outside of you to others, Jesus knows what's inside of you and what you're pondering. He knows. And so, there's one more piece of context I want to give you before we move into the heart of of this text. And it's in the very first interchange with Peter and Jesus in verse 15. So I want to pick up there, kind of lead you through So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? So that's the last piece of context I want you to have, is that there's some kind of thing there that Jesus refers to as these that has the potential to compete. with Peter's love for Jesus. Now, scholars are all over the place on this, and our imaginations can go everywhere with it. Is he talking about these fish? Is he talking about these disciples? Is he talking about these nets? Is he talking about these boats? Is he talking about these as in this job? What is he talking about? We don't know! But we know that whatever it is, is so important to Peter that it has the potential to rival his love for Jesus. That it has the potential of being raised above where it should be and put into a place of 
ultimate importance so that it would displace Jesus as the object of ultimate love and ultimate importance. So whatever it is that Jesus is talking to Peter about, that thing is really important. That these is really important. It's so much that in Jesus' first interaction with Peter, he's going to bring it to the surface. Why? Because Jesus knows. He knows right now what is in your heart that is rivaling your love for Him. He already knows. And what He wants to do is bring those things to the surface and have an honest conversation about them. Because those things are the things that may determine whether you finish with Jesus or without Him. And so Jesus meets Peter there. The context is set up. All that's happened. The most glaring thing is the failure of Peter and the love of Jesus. And right under those two most glaring things is this this loving pursuit of Jesus and this horrid failure of Peter is this thing that seems to be pulling Peter back away from Jesus and out of ministry and out of discipleship. And so Jesus meets him there. And this is important because what Jesus is going to do at the very beginning is He's going to expose the main thing He's after. So, let's move from the first point. There was a context for understanding Peter's motivation. To the second point, there was a cause. There was something that could actually cause Peter to be able to endure to the end. There was something that was there that could make this happen. And that's what Jesus brings to the surface. So he says in verse 15, So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What's happening? Well, Jesus is going all the way to the bottom of the very thing that is the only thing that can bring you to endure to the end. I don't know what got you in church. I have no idea. I don't know what's keeping you in church today. But what I do know is that the only thing that will sustain you in genuine faith all the way to the end, through all the trials, all the tests, all the temptations, all the failures, there's only one thing, and that is loving Jesus. That's it. That's it. It's not complex. And that's why I love the way that Jesus does this. He just cuts through and says, All right, Peter, do you love me more than this? And so what he's dug down to is this cause, this ultimate cause that could sustain a person through temptation, 
testing, trial, through failure and fault, through risk and danger. There's only one thing that can take you through that. And that's why Jesus boils it down, He simplifies it, and He just asks it. Now, I want you to join me in 2 Timothy for just a moment because there is a revelation that Paul makes about this that's very, very clear. And I want you to go there long enough to kind of uh, just peek and later come back to it. When Paul, at the end of his life, we believe 2 Timothy is probably the last thing that he wrote prior to his execution. He knew that his execution was coming. He knew that it was on, that it was something that was you know, just around the corner for him. So he says in cha- chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, and I quoted this a minute ago, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering for the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. Okay, So Paul's able to say that reflecting on his life, the temptations, the trials, all of the things, the tragedies, the, everything that's come. He's, he's stayed the course for one reason. He's going to tell it in just a moment. He says, in the future, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. But not only to me. He's going to award it to a bunch of people who do something. What does it say? But also to all who have loved His appearing. What he's saying is that that crown of righteousness is just going to the people that love Jesus. That's it. The thing that sustains us, as important as doctrine is, and and, and I think doctrine is the revelation of the truth of who God is, who Christ is, Doctrine won't sustain you. I think commitment is good, but commitment won't sustain you. I think zeal is good, but zeal will not sustain you. I think passion is good, but passion will not sustain you. It is love of Jesus. And that's why, as Steve prayed a few minutes ago, he said it so well. We love because He first loved us. Our love for Him is simply a response to His love for us. And it is the only thing that will sustain us so that we can join Paul. Now you say, Bart, are you sure that that's Paul's point here? Yeah, look at what happens in verse 9. Make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. Paul holds it up and says, here here it is. It's Jesus or these things. I don't know what these things was for Peter, but it was something in this present world. I don't know what these things was for Demas, but it was something in this present world. And basically Jesus said, it's me or it's these things. You can't love them both. John says, do not love the world. And then he goes on to say, for the one who loves the world does not have the love of the Father in him. So the sustaining grace for me and you to finish well is the same sustaining grace that was going to bring Peter around. It was the same sustaining grace that was going to keep Paul around. And it is the sustaining grace of loving Jesus. And so what is is the effort, what is the chief effort of the church, of the individual need to be? That we love Jesus. 
This is what we need to be working on. More than anything else is loving Jesus. And so what's happening? Well, back to John. Let's see how it develops. All right. In the context of Peter's failure and Jesus' love, and in the context of the temptation of these things, whatever they are, Jesus comes to Peter and says, Do you love me? Now this is not a strange concept because Jesus had just recently said in John 14, If you love me, you will keep my commands. Then it says, The one who has my word and keeps it, he it is, who loves me. And so there is this relationship between love and obedience that leads to endurance. So what will make me, what will make you able to go from where you are all the way to the end of your days and finish in obedience and in endurance in the faith so you can look back like Paul and say... I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. What will it be? Just this. If you love Jesus. Nothing else. That's it. And that's what Jesus is after. So he says to Peter, you know, you know what, Peter? Do you love me? Now, this is interesting because until Peter responds, Jesus doesn't tell him what to do next. Now, see, most of us would show up to Peter after he's kind of quit ministry and and gone back to fishing and to his comfort zone and all the things that kind of give him that security and that significance that he had before Jesus. He's kind of gone back. Most of us would show up and we'd give Peter this stern warning, but you need to get back to work. You need to get on it. You need to, you need, and we'd start giving all the things that need to be done without dealing with what is the real question here. So before Jesus tells Peter to do anything, he asks him this one question. Three times. Do you love me? That's it. Now, Peter's response has two parts. First, it has this part. Lord, you know. So, if you and Jesus were meeting today at the campfire of your soul, and He was sitting across from you, and He leaned in, and He said to you, Do you love me? The first thing you need to remember is He already knows the answer. So there's no bluffing right here. This is not the time to kind of hem and haw and use those cool words you use with other people who are tricked by all of your verbosity. No, it's not going to work. Jesus knows who and what you love right now. And so He creeps very close to you at the campfire of your soul and He says, Do you love me? And before you answer, you need to be like Peter. And you need to say, Lord, you know. You know. 
You know. So there's no, we don't need to bluff. We don't need to hedge our bet here. We need, you know. So that's what happens. Look at the interaction. Verse 15. You love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, this is where the playing in of how everything is supposed to work between us and Jesus is made very clear. Jesus pursues us because He loves us. The response He's after is not service. Remember Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. Jesus doesn't need anything. He's not showing up with this list of needs going, I've got all these needs and I need to enlist some people to meet them. He shows up and says, you have a list of needs and they are all met by my love. And so Jesus arrives and He loves us and what He's looking for in return is love. Because he knows that with that comes everything else that's supposed to be there. Love will be the fuel. It will be the origin. It will be the motive. It will be the fountain of everything else that we do. And so he says to Peter, do you love me? Peter responds in the affirmative, yes. Then, Peter, uh, then Jesus says, here's what you're supposed to do. So go to the third part. There was a command under which Peter endured in obedience. Notice, at the end of each interchange, Jesus gives a command. He says, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know everything. Yes, I love you. And then he says, tend my lambs. Second time, shepherd my sheep. Third time, tend my sheep. So the command, the obedience, follows on the heels of love. So what Jesus is after is not rote obedience. That's why the Pharisees were so condemned by Him, even though they obeyed so many of the rules. He said, you guys don't have the love of the Father in your heart. That's what God has been after the whole time. That's why it is the greatest command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How do you do that? By loving Jesus. That's how. And so... Here he is. In the midst of Peter's failure, denial, stupidity, Jesus doesn't just leave him. He seeks him. Now, I don't know how bad you've messed up. I really don't know. And I don't know what the these is in your life that made you mess up. But here's what I do know. In love, Jesus is pursuing you. In the midst of your failure, in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your sin, in the midst of going back to your comfort zone, Jesus pursues. And He so clearly pictures it with Peter. And He shows up, and He doesn't ask, 
Peter to cook him breakfast. He cooks Peter breakfast. He doesn't ask Peter to catch fish. He catches fish for Peter. He does all of these things to show his love and his compassion and his power. And he's reaching out to Peter. And he says, do you love me? And so here's the command. Now, the interesting command here is that the command follows the love. The command follows the confession. Jesus, do you love me? And Peter, yes. He shepherd my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, you know, Lord, tend my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, it's grieving me. You know everything. Tend my sheep. And so the restoration process and the process of getting Peter back on track is a process of dealing with the issue that got him off track, and that is love. When you and I fail, Jesus, this is where the failure always rests. It always rests in an issue of love. Whatever the failure is, whatever the disappointment, whatever the struggle is, this is always the heart of it. And so that's why Jesus focuses, laser focus, three times, Peter, this is the thing. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. Now go do what you're supposed to do. So think this through now. Peter's failed. (laughs) He's failed miserably. He's gone back to the very thing he was called from. I want you to think through the whole process here. When Jesus met Peter, he was there with the nets. And it says it. They laid down their nets and they followed him. Now Jesus meets him back and he's gone back to the nets. And Jesus says, Peter, what, what what do you love most? And he's calling him back to him, back to the relationship, back to the ministry. But he's calling him in love and he's dealing with this one thing. If Peter can get this one thing right, everything else follows. Please hear that. We worry so much over so many things. But if you'll go back to Mary and Martha, and Jesus comes to their house, and Martha's busy about so many things, but Mary in her love is right there at the feet of Jesus And Jesus makes it very clear, Martha, Martha, you're encumbered with so many things. Only one is necessary. And Mary's chosen the greater. My brothers and sisters, we are encumbered with a lot of stuff in life. But if we can get this one thing right, it will order everything else. Love Jesus. Everything follows from that. Everything comes out of that. And so when he comes to restore Peter, he doesn't come with a lecture on responsibility, a lecture on stewardship, a lecture and lesson on shepherding, a lecture on how bad it is to go back to the old things. He comes back to him and he just says, Peter, here it is. Do you love
Now, I want you to imagine for a minute Jesus and you. A little campfire down inside your soul. Just you and Jesus, you're at the fire. You're on each side of the fire, you're there. And Jesus leans into you and He looks you in the eye and He says to you, Do you love me? Because right now, really, that's all that's important. That's it. You can go out of here and you can be as religious as you want, evangelistic as you want, as Baptist as you want, as moral as you want. But if you walk out of here and you have not settled down in your heart that you love Jesus more than these, none of it will matter. This is it. And that's why when Peter met with Jesus, Jesus dealt with the issue. Time was limited. Their time together was coming to an end. And so Jesus wanted to make sure that the one thing was the one thing He dealt with. And so now, in true worship, we sit down and Jesus comes and He sits across from us at the campfire of our soul and He peers into our eyes and we look into the eyes of the One who already knows the answers to all the questions. And He leans in hard and He says... Do you love me? And He's cutting through all the mess in your life and all the complications and all the excuses and all the things. And He says, Do you love me? So before we fall under the command to go and be a steward of whatever it is that God has given us, We need to settle this. We need to settle it today. Nothing else is going to sustain you. That's the good news of the Gospel. Is that it is God's love coming towards you that provokes and produces your love for Him. We love because He first loved us. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It is God coming towards you in Christ, sitting down with you, cutting through all the mess, looking eye to eye with you and saying to you, do you love me? Would you bow with me? And... Quietly, I want to ask you to answer this question. If it were you and Jesus right now, I don't know what your these is. I have no idea. Everybody's got them. But if you're in Jesus right now, and He is there across from you, and He says... Do you love me more than these? This is the thing. And one of the glorious things is to realize that Peter knew that in the past he had not loved Jesus rightly. It's what made him run away. 
Some kind of these got in Peter's way. And whatever the these was made him deny Jesus. Three times. He had not settled this issue. But by now, he settled it. And so Jesus sits down and he asks him. And so I, I want to ask you. If y'all were at the campfire and Jesus was talking to you. And he asked you. What would you say? What would you say back to him? First, if you're not a Christian, this is the starting place. God, in his love for you, has sent Jesus to take the penalty for your sin because he was qualified to take that penalty by living perfectly in the first place. And by taking that penalty on the cross and dying for you and being raised from the dead as the verification that the penalty was paid, He offers to forgive you of your sins and bring you into a personal relationship with God by which you personally experience His love, His forgiveness, His grace. And so you could, for the very first time today, look across that campfire down in your heart and say, I've heard this story, Jesus, about your love for me. And here's my response. I love you. I'll follow you. Others of you, you've made a confession of faith of some sort, some form. Like Peter, you stood and you said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. But something got in the way and you are walking at such a guilty distance today. And he shows back up and he wants to settle that stuff. And so he sits across from you today and he says, Do you love me more than these? And He's giving you the opportunity today to renounce those things and look Him in the eye and say, Yes, Jesus. (laughs) Yes, I love you. And then He's going to tell you what you need to do. He's going to give you your stewardship back. But you need to settle this because it will sustain you. It'll take you all the way to the end. It'll be that one thing that will give you the ability to live out your life the way that pleases Him. Because it's done in love. I'd ask you to stand. Listen to Jesus in your heart. Hear His Word to you and follow Him. Would you do that today? Would you say, yes, Jesus, I love you and follow Him? Would you come?